In the 14th century, Italian poet Dante Alighieri penned his masterpiece, The Divine Comedy. The epic poem tells the story of a lost pilgrim who is guided through hell to meet his beloved in heaven. This fantastic journey is also a coded allegory. Hidden in the symbolism is a much deeper story with a map of history that connects Dante's life with our own. This is Dante's history. Inferno, Canto 13 My spirit, in disdainful exhalation, thinking by dying to escape disdain, made me unjust against myself, the just. To sum up the poem so far, the pilgrim and his guide have passed through the first six circles of the Inferno. They've encountered beasts and demonic guards, and plenty of damned souls who must spend eternity trapped in a cycle of punishment fitting their lifestyle. In the last canto, the duo entered the first of three sub-rings of the seventh circle. In the outermost ring, they saw the Minotaur and hundreds of centaur guards. With the help of a centaur named Nessus, they crossed a river of boiling blood, containing the souls of those who used violence to harm others. In this canto, Dante and Virgil enter a dark forest full of thorny bushes and twisted trees. The pilgrim will encounter yet another damned soul and learn the gruesome fate that awaits those who are violent against themselves. It hasn't been long since Nessus dropped the pilgrim and his guide off on the other side of the river of blood. Beyond it, they find themselves in a forest with no path. The foliage is reddish-brown, and instead of fruit, the tangled branches bear only poisonous thorns. Dante references yet another real-world location between the Cecina River in Tuscany and the village of Cornetto just south. The marshy area is known as the Marima, and it's densely populated with thorny bushes. As one historian described it, All nature conspires to drive man away from this fatal region, but man will ever return to his bane, if it be well baited. The Cassantine peasants still migrate hither in the winter to feed their cattle, and here they sow corn, make charcoal, saw wood, cut hops, and peel cork. When summer returns they decamp, but often too late, for many leave their corpses on the road, or bring home a Maremian disease. This gloomy, pathless wasteland is inhospitable to say the least. It's not a place where life thrives. Dante is using this barren wilderness as a fitting setting for the type of damned souls we will soon encounter. Like all the circles, this place can be interpreted as a state of mind. The demonic guardians of this realm are the harpies. Flying beasts with clawed feet and the faces of fair maidens. Dante once again references Book 3 of Virgil's Aeneid. On an island in the Ionian Sea, an area known as the Strophades, Aeneas and his companions are terrorized by harpies. The beasts try to discourage the Trojans by telling them they will starve to death before they reach their destination. The word harpy means snatcher or swift robber, 
and they were often depicted stealing food from starving people. It was also said that when a person suddenly disappeared, it was because the harpies got them. These tormentors represent a lawless passion that can leave the soul perpetually unsatisfied and hopeless. Here in the seventh circle of the inferno, they have made nests in the twisted trees, feeding on the leaves and crying out to torment the souls of the circle. Virgil notes that they are now in the second round of the seventh circle, and the shade mentions the horrible sand that is the setting of the third subring ahead of them. The pilgrim can hear the usual cries of agony coming from the damned souls, but he cannot see where they are. Virgil notices the pilgrim's confusion and invites him to break off a piece of one of the trees. Dante writes the funny line, I think he thought I thought, which shows the pilgrim's internal logic and assumptions about what Virgil's suggestion might imply. Does his guide think the pilgrim assumes the voices are from the souls hidden inside the trees? The pilgrim does as the guide says and plucks a branch from a nearby tree. To his shock, the tree begins to bleed and cry out. Why dost thou mangle me? Why dost thou rend me? Hast thou no spirit of pity whatsoever? Men once we were, and now changed to trees. Indeed, thy hand should be more pitiful, even if the souls of serpents we had been. The voice seems to come from the end of the broken branch, along with drops of blood. Dante likens it to a burning branch that is dripping sap and whistling due to escaping steam. Horrified, the pilgrim drops what he broke off. Virgil steps up and speaks to the tree, noting that the pilgrim had only read of such things in his writings. This scene is yet another reference to Book Three of the Aeneid. Aeneas plucks some vegetation from the grave of a fellow Trojan, and to his shock, moans and black blood seep from the torn roots. The grave belonged to his cousin, Polydorus. Before the Greeks invaded his homeland, the young Trojan was given the treasure of Troy and sent away to be raised by the Thracian king, Polymester. But the greedy king murdered Polydorus after Troy fell, stealing the treasure and throwing the boy's body into the sea. Virgil assumed that since Dante had only read these words, it'd be better to make this discovery for himself. The guide feels guilty about this offense, and to make amends, asks the damned soul to tell the pilgrim his story, so that he may be remembered once again when the pilgrim returns to the surface. Like many of the damned souls in the inferno, the tree is enticed by the offer. Though this soul is never named directly, he gives a few hints about his identity. He introduces himself as a confidant of Frederick, the one who had the keys to lock and unlock his heart. He goes on to boast about how devoted he was to his job, even risking his health and well-being. But things turned south when envious outside forces turned his employer against him. In the end, he was left in such a sorry state, he took his own life. Despite it all, he swears he never betrayed his employer's trust, and even continues to profess his allegiance. By the clues given, scholars have understood this soul to be Pierre de la Vigne, a poet and minister who for many years was the secretary of Emperor Frederick II. 
the mention of two keys is Dante presenting Pierre as a parody of his namesake, St. Peter, who also had two keys, one for mercy and one for punishment. Pierre is saying that as his emperor's counselor, he was also highly influential. But as he notes, their relationship soured. In one account, after failing to adequately defend his emperor during a debate, Pierre was accused of treason. Another account accuses him of taking bribes from the Pope, while others claim he was accused of plotting to poison the Emperor. In any case, Emperor Frederick had Pierre blinded, and after labeling him a traitor and parading him around on a donkey, Frederick locked him away in prison. Poor Pierre was so distraught by it all, he smashed his head repeatedly against a wall until he was dead. Scholars today believe Pierre was innocent of treason, and it appears Dante may have agreed. He did not put Pierre in the lowest part of the inferno with the other traitors. When Pierre is finished speaking, Virgil urges the pilgrim to ask the soul some questions while he still can. The pilgrim once again, assuming Virgil's thoughts about his own, hesitates, saying he now pities the poor soul and doesn't want to trouble him further. But Virgil asks the soul two questions on the pilgrim's behalf. He asks how the souls of this circle came to be bound within these trees, and if any have ever been freed. As Pierre explains, when a soul takes his own life, Minos tosses them down to the seventh circle. Wherever they land, the soul is planted like a seed. It soon grows into a sapling, and then to a tree and the harpies feed upon the tree's leaves, which is a painful experience for the damned soul. And when time ends and all the souls are reunited with their bodies, the suicides must stay in this forest, and the bodies they abandoned will be hung from their own thorny branches. The pilgrim and his guide are listening intently when a sudden noise calls their attention. The sound is similar to the commotion of a wild boar hunt, as if something were being chased through the bushes. From their left come two naked and scratched souls. They are the damned of this circle who have not been turned into trees. The first naked soul that passes by screams out, begging for death to save him. The second soul, who is lagging behind, identifies the first as Lano, who, he teases, should have run this fast at Topo. This first soul has been identified as Arcolano Maconi, who after squandering his fortune joined the armed forces of Siena. When the Sienese forces were ambushed at a place called Pieve al Topo, it is said Lano flung himself into battle rather than retreat to go back to his life of poverty. Lano was also a member of the Spendthrift Brigade of Siena, a gang of rich young men that enjoyed squandering their fortunes engaging in acts of moral depravity. We'll meet a few more members of this group deeper in the Inferno. Lano is able to escape this time, but the other damned soul, possibly out of breath, stops to hide behind a bush. His pursuers, a pack of ravenous black mastiffs, finally catch up with him and tear the soul to pieces. This poor soul is soon identified by the bush it was hiding behind. It was Jacopo of St. Andrea, who inherited a large fortune from a wealthy woman only to squander it all. He reportedly had a thing for arson, 
and once burned down his laborers' cottages just to create a spectacle for his noble guests. Jacopo was ultimately put to death for his decadence and incredibly wasteful lifestyle. Both these souls had self-destructive lifestyles that ultimately caught up with them. Through excessive recklessness, they indirectly took their own lives. Virgil and Dante approach the weeping bush, which is now bleeding, having lost a few of its leaves in the scuffle. It begs the wayfarers to gather its fallen leaves back under it. Though this soul will never be named, from its words we can deduce it was once a Florentine citizen. The soul refers to John the Baptist, replacing the city's original patron saint. Before Florence was converted to Christianity, Mars, the god of war, was their patron saint. The Christians replaced his temple with a church and relocated a statue of the god to a tower near the Arno River. The Florentine laments that those citizens who rebuilt the city after it was destroyed by Attila had done so in vain, for it is destined to fall again. We know now it was actually Totila, king of the Ostrogoths, who destroyed Florence, not Attila, as Dante's sources believed. The Florentine citizen ends this canto with a confession that he hung himself in his own home. Based on Florentine records, some have deduced this to be a distraught man who lost all his wealth, or a judge who hung himself after taking a bribe to make an unjust judgment. The citizen can also be interpreted as symbolic of the shift of the nature of Florence from a mighty city founded on conquest to one cursed by wealth obsession. John the Baptist was not just the new patron saint. His image was stamped on the city's currency, the florin. Dante is hinting that greed, corruption, and civil war were causing Florence to self-destruct. Much like a life cut short too soon, the canto ends abruptly. In the next canto, the travelers enter the final subring of the Seventh Circle, a desert of red-hot sand, where they will find those sinners who are violent against nature and order, among them a raging giant. Then the travelers come upon another river, and Virta will describe the many waterways of the Inferno. Next time on Dante's History. Thank you for listening to Dante's History. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to help support it, please visit patreon.com slash Dante's History.